From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Stay tuned now for the local coronavirus report update. What do we call it? The local coronavirus update. <laughs> hey, Drew, I can't find our theme music, so... <laughs> Should we just jump in? But we're going to have to do it uh, with Dr. Drew Colfax. I'm Alicia Bales, engineering, or passing for an engineer here this, morning, this, this afternoon. <laughs> and with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we're here to talk about the local coronavirus situation here in Mendocino County. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. You feeling okay? I am. I was yeah. just a little distracted yeah. before the show and didn't yeah. get our theme music up. Well, you know, one-third of people with... COVID develop um, cognitive changes. <gasps> no, so. I, I I think I know what my syndrome is. I think it's COVID fatigue syndrome. Oh, it's a real thing. I, I certainly have that. Um, frankly, I can't believe that there's a single listener who tunes in between 3 and 3.30 on Monday and Wednesdays at this it point. It doesn't have it. Exactly. Well, <laughs> also, just so much weird overwhelming news and i apologize for that bumpy takeoff but i i think probably most of the people listening can relate yes oh i certainly think so and you know it's it's actually not that weird of news locally it's it's this national fiasco that we're still dealing with that's That's a great way to describe it been laid bare i mean i the numbers that keep going back and forth in my mind are the fact that we have 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's deaths. It's just unfathomable. You know, we have the single most expensive healthcare system in this country, and yet our world. death rate yeah. is so much higher than the worldwide average. And sure, you might say it's undercounted in developing nations or whatnot, but it's still far, far above any other fully developed um, country that has a functioning healthcare system. And frankly, we just don't have a functioning healthcare system. We just have a very expensive one. Um, and we certainly don't have a functioning government, though we have a very expensive one. So it's just grim. Yeah, I was listening to Timothy Snyder on a podcast this morning. He was talking about how our healthcare system is actually a wealth redistribution system up. It's a way to funnel money into the upper classes. Yes, yes, it certainly is. And if you look at at a sort of a graph or a pie chart, if you will, of the one percenters in this country, doctors occupy about half that. Really? Mm -hmm. That just doesn't seem right. No. What, what, what are you going to do about this for your people, for your doctor people? <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why there's resistance, although that's not really actually the driver of health care cost. It's, it's our multi-payer, um, health, you know, work and, work-based health insurance policy that we have in this country um, with massive um, bureaucratic overlays, massive insurance profits, massive um, pharmaceutical profits. That's the driver of health care costs in this country. It's, it's really not the salaries paid to healthcare workers. Um, I mean, it's it's a portion of it, but it's really not a significant um, driver. Yeah, there's a lot of people in between yes. the healthcare and the and the money. Yes, code administrator is one of my mantras. <laughs> is what does a code administrator do? It's well, the the administrator doesn't actually see patients; they just administrate. So I have a short fuse Uh-oh. for administrators. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Anyway. <laughs> 
a little inside gl- you know, glimpse to my at-work personality. Right, stories from the yes, front lines. Yes. All, All right. right. What's going on with COVID here? COVID, in 16 new patients uh, diagnosed with COVID in the last 48 hours, driving our numbers to 1,021. Uh, we've run 27,778 tests in this county, which is just a mind-bogglingly large number when you think about it. That's approximately one-third of our county's population. That's one in three yeah, of everybody here. Over one in three. Yeah. All ages. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good. We're still running about 150 tests a day. Um, slightly over 1,000 of those tests are pending. Uh, hospitalization rate still remains okay in terms of capacity. There are five in the hospital total, one of whom is in the ICU. And unfortunately, we had another death, um, driving the number to 21. Um, and on Monday, show I hadn't been able to confirm it, but now I have. The death of our most recent previous death was actually of somebody uh, in his or her 30s. Um, and so, you know, a lot of you listeners certainly um, may be correct in presuming that this tends to affect the more elderly. But one thing we've seen over and over again is even though younger people are at risk, some unlucky few get extremely sick and some actually die from this in a way that you just don't really see with other sort of viral infections like, shall I say, influenza. Uh-huh. Right. So the, the person who was number 20, we're at 21 now, mm-hmm. uh, but the person who was at number 20 was 39, and the person before that was 51. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's not exactly affecting only those who are, you know, over 70 or 80. I mean, certainly people in that those age groups are at much greater risk of doing less well if they contract COVID, but we're seeing it, you know, going up and down the entire line. Unfortunately, we haven't had anybody, you know, really young yet, but 39 is certainly a young by my standards. Um, Me too. So That's it's, certainly way too young to die of a preventable disease. Well, it's, uh, you know, dying at any at any age from this disease is, you know, frankly inexcusable, um, simply because it could have been contained or controlled in a way that would be um, rational. But. And it feels so strange to be talking about the number of people in our community that we've lost when... By and large, we don't know who these people are, and there's no real way that we've figured out, either as a local community or as a national society, to recognize and mourn collectively these losses. So it's, I mean, it's just another one of the things that makes this experience of this pandemic so surreal and bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's also just sort of you know, we're, we talked about the fatigue that we're all experiencing. I mean, there's there's certainly now sort of an acceptance of these ongoing casualties. I mean, we're running 700 national deaths a daily uh, on average from this. I mean, some days it's lower, some days it's over a thousand, but on average, we're, you know, about six to eight hundred people are dying every single day from this illness in this country, which is an astonishingly large number. But back to the numbers uh, to finish that out. Uh, we are right now at almost exactly 10 cases per 100,000. Um, our positivity rate is 3.8, uh, so bumped up a little bit. Um, California is still uh, running along around 2,500 cases per day. Um, six, over 16,000 Californians have died uh, from this. And nationally, the most important number, in my mind at least, is our two-week trend sort of on the national front. Um, And that's still positive, which is not a good thing, Um, about 6%, so over 40,000 cases a day nationally. 
So that's where we stand in terms of numbers. Um, what we're seeing actually, and I talked about the White House uh, fiasco briefly on Monday, but it actually does sort of illustrate in a really powerful way both the limitations of testing, right? So they, they had the Abbott machine in the White House, and we have an Abbott machine here in Mendocino County. Uh, we know it's not a very good machine. It's great for screening um, symptomatic people. but That's it's the 15-minute one. That's the fast one, uh-huh. yeah. Um, it's not quite 15 minutes, at least when we try to run it, but it, <laughs> it's, it's fast. Um, and it's great for screening symptomatic people, but it's not sufficiently sensitive or specific for people who do not have symptoms and that's how they were using it in the White House and you know a lot of people have been calling over the months and months now about what they can do how they should interpret a negative or positive test and obviously interpreting a positive test requires a lot of um, scrambling because that is probably accurate but a negative test is really just a pinpoint snapshot and cannot and should not change anything that you do as an individual so going and getting tested and then going to visit your octogenarian or you know centarian grandparents is not you know that test does not tell you that you're safe to do that you still need to wear a mask you still need to socially distance and you certainly shouldn't be getting into closed spaces without masks um which is why the white house has this outbreak i mean it's it was foreseeable it was in fact inevitable um and the second thing it really illustrates is how um you know somebody brought it into the white house then that one person was not wearing a mask um and you know that one person might have been following our fearless leaders example But it really goes to show how one individual's refusal to wear a mask can lead to a significant um, outbreak that could potentially kill some of these individuals. So I know last time I looked, it was up to 34 infections within his immediate circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And And that doesn't include, you know, press. You know, several journalists are in that uh, in that cohort now as well. So it's people really high up in the government. Yes. So that just seems so bizarre. Other other things that might have um, caught some people's attention. Um, New Zealand did what we should have done um, two months ago and go on a full national complete lockdown and gotten this thing under control. Um, they did that after just a few cases, and they have it back under control again. And now everything is lifted, and they are probably done until there's another tiny little pocket here or there. Do they, are they allowing people to come visit? I think... If you go into quarantine, you're allowed to visit. But I think it was a two-week quarantine period. Um, And talk about contract tracing. They were able to figure out exactly where these people contacted it, which room they were in, and, you know, just just amazingly good public health work. Um, I hesitate to extrapolate too much from a tiny island nation, but uh, it certainly illustrates the point that we know how to make this work. We just haven't. Um, and you know, talking about how to make this work, Italy finally decided to have a national mask mandate um, just yesterday, I believe that went through, um, which is certainly what we need. We see states like North Dakota, which are um, exceeding their capacity now to care for their patients. They're shipping people out of state um, without a statewide uh, masking mandate. So, you know, we know it works, and we unfortunately still see over and over again what doesn't. There was something that happened with the FDA yesterday and their um, regulations about the vaccine. Yeah, so the FDA was trying to tighten up their uh, vaccine review process, and they were ordered not to do that by the White House. Um, And that process... 
just by its structure would have meant that there couldn't have been any sort of breakthrough announcement um, before some certain date in November. Um, and you know, that was stopped because that breakthrough announcement, as I've been saying since July, is going to happen in the next, what is it now, 28 days, 29 days. Um, it's coming. Um, it's not going to mean anything, but they want to have that announcement without it immediately con- being you know, shown to contradict the FDA's requirements. All right. Well, people are already calling in. Should we start with some phone calls? Sure. Let's sure. do it. Uh, 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. If you want to call in, uh, ask a question about the coronavirus or um, local response or national issues or... Oh, testing. Should we get into testing sites yeah. before we take calls sure. so we don't run out of time? There are quite a few uh, tests across the region yes. coming up this week. Um in Round Valley, there have been over 22 cases of COVID-19 since September 14th. So they've got a free testing event coming up tomorrow, Thursday, October 8th, from 3 to 7 p.m. at the Round Valley Indian Tribal Emergency Operations Center. And that's at 24281 Riff Road. I think that's how you say that. And this is free anonymous testing with no appointment necessary. Um, yeah, that's in Round Valley. And then... In Wallala on Saturday, there's going to be a, a screening event, uh, um, and that is from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., but they're changing the procedure this time, and they are uh, requiring appointments. They're going to have a scheduled COVID-19 screening system. So that, I can't see the phone number here, but there is a website. You can go to rcms-healthcare.org that's rcms-healthcare.org and click the get tested button and that's rcms redwood uh, community redwood coast medical services yes not system services Services. so the rcms-healthcare.org that's saturday from 10 a.m to 6 p.m in wallala and Anderson Valley is still offering free um, testing every Thursday morning starting at 9 a.m. at the Anderson Valley High School parking lot. And, of course, Mendocino Coast Clinics is testing weekly through the end of the year. And you also need to call them for an appointment. That's 964-1251 in the North Coast. And then OptumServe is open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. in Ukiah Sunday through Thursday for free testing. They do accept walk-ins, but if you go to their website, you can make an appointment at lhi.care slash COVID testing. All right, so All right. that's what's happening around the county. Let's go ahead and take our first call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, this is uh, KZYX. It is. Yep, you're live on the air. Oh, hey, um, hi. I just have a question. Yeah. If, someone just, if someone's been notified that they have been exposed to COVID, and then they go get, and in between the time that they get their test results back, um, we they've still been exposed. So what would be the protocol for them? What, should they stay away from people? Should they still be going out and socializing? What do you recommend? Uh, yeah, so people who have been exposed to COVID, and the exposure um, is generally thought to be 15 minutes, approximate contact in an enclosed space. Um, and so if, if, you, if that individual meets that criteria, then unfortunately that person needs to quarantine for two weeks. Uh, that's, I'm on the air. 
that's uh, that's what's required. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if this person who was exposed was contacted by public health through contact tracing, but that's what they are uh, directing exposed people to do. Um, and then, you know, you can get tested, um, you know, immediately post-exposure. And then again, and after that, after you have two negative tests in general, that person should at least be thought to be safe to sort of engage in the activity which are okay, but I really wouldn't ever encourage going out and about and socializing, at least not yet. Until after the test. Okay. Until no. after the pandemic. Right, until after this is all over. <laughs> so, you know, socializing is fine outside, but indoor socializing with groups of people who are not part of your bubble or pod or whatever you want to call it or your household, that, that really just shouldn't be happening. Um, it's just too risky and it's going to just keep our numbers um, too high. You know, and, and to illustrate sort of the, the fumbling approach that we've had in this state even, um, you know, just yesterday, the California Department of Public Health said, released something saying that you should keep your mask on between bites at a restaurant, uh, which is just insane. People should not be eating indoors in restaurants at all, period, full stop. Um, but the the socializing aspect of your question is is worrisome, frankly, um, and, your rely, and one's reliance on a negative test is misplaced reliance. It really just tells you um, what you may have in terms of viral shedding at that one moment. Um, and you could be positive four hours or 48 hours later, uh, even with that negative test. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. All You're right. welcome. Thank you for the, the program. Question. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Was that grim enough for you, Alicia? Right. Well, no, but it's true. It's like that's the only thing we can improve on, really. It, you know, once everybody gets wearing masks, and I mean, how are we going to bring these numbers down? Well, we're just masks on all the time, socially yeah. distanced, no stay groups, outside, no yeah. groups ever. All right, let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, let me turn the radio down. Okay. Hello. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Um, I am wondering if there is any way at all that um, five or six family members who aren't all living together at the moment uh, can celebrate Thanksgiving safely together in inside of a house. If, if that's yes. at all. Is there some way we can get tested or well, quarantine or something so that we can... Uh, have a Thanksgiving indoors together. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a fraught question to be sure, and it's probably one on the, in the back of everybody's mind at this point as we move both into the flu season and the holiday season. I I, I guess the the recommendation I would have for that would be to assess the risk factors of the individuals who may be getting together. Uh, and so if, if the family members um, are all relatively low risk, which is to say relatively young and fairly cautious in terms of their exposures outside of that type of gathering, uh, then it might be an acceptable type of thing to do. Um, but if some of the individuals are high risk, which is to say over the age of 75 or a lot of comorbidities, 
um, that increase the risk of doing poorly with COVID, then frankly, there's probably no acceptable way to get together with those individuals without you know the potential for transmission to them. Testing is not going to solve the problem. So y'all could get tested, you know, a week before Thanksgiving, um, and if those tests come back negative, and yet you are still going out and shopping and going to stores and you know doing your sort of routine activities that are necessary, then the risk of still having asymptomatic COVID come Thanksgiving morning is present. And I frankly wouldn't recommend getting together with higher risk family members in that scenario. However, there is a workaround. If you are really dedicated to this Thanksgiving dinner, you could you could quarantine. Your all of your family members could quarantine for two weeks, not come into contact with anybody for two weeks, um, and then you would presumably have such negligible chance of having COVID that you could all get together. But you wouldn't be able to shop for your Thanksgiving feast. Well, you'd have to shop two delivered. weeks beforehand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Is there any possibility that, that some of us could get tested and others could do the two week thing? Uh, and, and two of the people, and one in particular, is is a high risk, but all the others are not. So. Um, yeah, that, I mean, the, the, pro- the, the problem is well, you can't just sort of, you know, as, as we saw with the White House, you can't test yourself out of this problem, right? And so, you know, people getting together for Thanksgiving, you know, they may all be tested, you know, three to four days beforehand. That might make everybody feel better, but it doesn't really tell y'all whether you have COVID or not. Um, and so if there's a high-risk individual in that group, I it's it's pretty fraught, frankly, and I don't think anybody wants to bear the burden of, you know, the day after Thanksgiving developing a fever and discover that you had COVID, which you've now transmitted to, you know, your 81-year-old grandmother. Um, and so it's it's just, it's it's an unfortunate recommendation that I'm making because I love Thanksgiving. Um, I, I really do, but it's I think it's just too dangerous to potentially expose high-risk individuals in this type of social gathering. Now, maybe, maybe I mean, we do have lovely weather in November sometimes, so do an outdoor Thanksgiving, weather permitting, but that's kind of hard to plan around. Um, but, you know, one, one thing that is quite clearly um, established at this point is outdoor activities generally are very, very low risk, even for higher risk individuals. Um, and so the potential for an outdoor, socially distanced type of holiday get-together is real here in sunny Mendocino. All right. Thanks, caller. Sorry. One other call, uh, follow-up is if you have to be indoors for some reason, does being six feet apart indoors help at all? It helps some, yeah. right? So it, it doesn't it doesn't completely negate the risk. Um, and you know, meal time in particular tends to be prolonged without masks on, and so it's it's a high risk activity. Um, and you know, I I just wouldn't recommend engaging in that type of activity for one holiday meal if, if somebody's at high risk. Now, if it's a bunch of, you know, if it's two family members and everybody's low risk and everybody's relatively careful and they're comfortable with each other's um, reported sort of uh, risk threshold and behaviors, then that that's another analysis. But if somebody is a high risk individual, and when I say risk factors or comorbidities, I'm talking about not just age, but um, obesity, chronic lung disease, diabetes, dialysis or kidney failure, um, high blood pressure, sort of a little bit less so, asthma even less so. Um, but the big ones are um, age and obesity, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, and it really shines a light on how how 
much this hurts, basically, how hard this is to not well, be able to see Well, and frankly, how ones. annoying it is that we're still dealing with this due to complete... Well, yes, yeah. that too. But yeah. I'm talking about, you know, wanting to be with your loved ones and, and, and trying to find the way, trying to find the little way you can get through this and do it anyway. And the fact is, you can't, really. I mean, you, you gave some options, but yeah, to be safe... Yeah, the options are inferior. All right. And annoying. Yes. Let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I just I'll make a quick comment about that. Uh, my feeling is that true love is really caring about people and people you really care about. You want them to be healthy. <laughs> and um, anyway, that's my take on it. I know I know it's a, it, this is a very hard time for a lot of people. I live alone, no animals. It's quite challenging. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree, and I mean, it, it, yeah, I I love the holidays, as I just said, but you know, I, I certainly don't want to bear the burden of um, you know transmitting COVID to a high risk family member. You know, personally, I'm at much higher risk of having asymptomatic COVID because I'm around people with COVID all the time, um, and so you know, there there is that higher degree of risk for me personally, um, and for other healthcare workers or first responders. But we all are at this risk. I mean, we're still running ten patients per day in this county, um, you know, 10 per 100,000, which is a fairly high uh, rate of prevalence in this county right now. Yeah, Laytonville just yeah. announced that they'd had a positive test come back from their last round at Long yeah, Valley Health Center. Yeah, and Anderson Valley had uh, several positives during the, from their last week's testing as well. So it's it's everywhere yeah. in this county. I mean, it's mostly in Ukiah, but more people live in Ukiah. It's not as bad as North Dakota. They're running 200 per 100,000 people oh, per wow. day. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're also not wearing masks and, you know, making America great again. So... All right, so caller. I have Go I have um, three questions. I think I heard you say first of all, fifteen minutes in close contact in an enclosed space. Uh, close contact, I take it, is closer than six feet, um, and it sounds like six feet isn't safe. And uh, I also take it that would be without wearing a mask. Um, and then my second question is. Um, a lot of people, uh, especially elderly people, are getting meals prepared in restaurants, delivered to them, and it's a free program. I guess it's a FEMA program. Um, and um, if, the, if the people who are preparing the food, particularly um, uncooked food, and packaging it and delivering it, um, don't wear a mask through this process only when they see the 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 recipient of the food is that safe is that covid safe because um, i'm very suspicious i see people who you know half wear masks and people are working in hot kitchens i can't imagine and the third thing is I, and i'll stay on the line to get my answers is can a asymptomatic person after the two or three week period develop uh, symptoms and or have long-term damage to their body even though they had no initial illness all right thanks for those questions caller all right so yeah. your your summary of close contact is correct um though i think the way the county's applying it they are not um, taking into the into account whether you're masked or not. Um, I, I, I'm not 100% certain of that, um, but I believe that they are not. Um, so that's that's your first question. That summary was, in fact, accurate. As for the food, um, I, 
yes, theoretically, you can get COVID from surfaces, um, and surfaces such as food containers in particular. The food itself is less likely, although I would be a bit more hesitant to um, get takeout raw salads and such, um, just because you're not going to be heating that. And this is a fairly fragile um, virus, so reheating takeout food at home is going to attenuate or kill it in such a way that the risk of contracting it from that is negligible. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it's, it's concerning that you may have seen or heard the people are preparing these foods without masks. That does make one a bit squeamish um, about eating that food. Uh, but as long as it's hot food that you reheat at home, I think that's fine. I, I wouldn't give that a second thought. The only hesitation I would have and the only advice I would have is you know, when you're handling the takeout containers, um, decant it into your own ones in your kitchen and wash your hands. Uh, and that, that's really going to mitigate the risks even further. Um, and then thirdly, the asymptomatic patient after two weeks developing symptoms. So it's not quite clear to me whether you're talking about somebody who's asymptomatic and has tested positive for COVID or not, or is it somebody who's simply been in quarantine after an exposure? Either way, if somebody's asymptomatic for two weeks, um, either having had a positive test or a close contact to somebody who was confirmed, uh, the current evidence suggests that it's unlikely for an asymptomatic individual to have any long-term sequelae from this or any long-term um, uh, morbidities from COVID. Uh, Maybe something very subtle will emerge from the data once we have more data that's been crunched. But right now, that's too minimal for us to really pick up on anything that we're seeing in terms of research. What we are seeing more and more of is people who have both long-term sort of protracted illnesses um, at a lower level just profound fatigue and shortness of breath and chest pain that goes on for not just weeks but months um and additionally and in addition uh, we're seeing things such as neurologic or cognitive uh, deterioration but these are all people who got quite sick or moderately sick uh during the initial um during the initial illness all right do we want to take one last call we always go one call too sure. far no let's, let's go for it let's do it all right Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hello, caller. Well, there you go. There you go. That's going to do it for the local coronavirus update. Thanks, Drew. You're welcome. This has been Dr. Drew Colfax, and I'm Alicia Bales. I want to do a couple of programming notes. Um, Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, we are going to live broadcast the vice presidential debate. And they're going to have a plexiglass shield. Which... That was one of my questions for you when you're talking about mitigations for Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. what if everybody built plexiglass shields in their dining rooms? Yeah, you know, we're doing a lot of these little things around the margins that probably don't help a whole lot. I don't, I don't um, see how you know, it could I, help. I, you know, we're talking between... I'm you know, staring at you through a plexiglass, <laughs> through a plexiglass but shield. even so... It, it just, there's, there's a fair amount of data to show that it actually doesn't help um, at all or maybe just negligibly um it certainly makes us feel better it makes the checkout clerk at the grocery store feel better to be behind a plastic shield when the other person on the other side's not masked or sneezing or coughing but the date on that is weak at best um and then secondly actually it i I know you're trying to do some programming notes but another point is you know as you go in a in about out and about um a lot of people are 
checking temperatures. Um, they do that at the hospital. They do that at the clinics. That's, that's pretty useless, actually. Uh, it's quite clear that really doesn't show anything whatsoever. Um, a lot of these infrared temperature checkers are frankly horrible. I went to the local healthcare center this morning and my temperature was 92 degrees, which means, at least theoretically, that I'm potentially about to get extremely sick. Um, but at any rate, that was just a faulty reading. So we've evolved now in our understanding of how the how this virus really does pass from one person to another, and we're still using some we're of these. We're still using these things that, I mean, it, they're more they're, they're psychologic crutches rather than anything else. Um, and, you know, people who run these organizations can say, but we're screening everybody's temperature before they come in. Yeah, I don't really care. There's no data to show that that helps in any way whatsoever. Um, it might, you know, screen out the floridly febrile person who's trying to walk into a healthcare center, but it doesn't really pick up anybody else. Febrile. Yeah means feverish yes yeah. i looked it up last time i yeah. did know but just in case anybody was listening who didn't know what febrile means yeah. um okay so yeah so there will be a plexiglass barrier between kamala harris and vice president pence tonight but that doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence um the point is that we are going to broadcast it so you can listen from six to eight tonight uh thursday tomorrow we're also going to do some local election coverage the ukiah the ukiah city council candidates forum it's going to start at seven o'clock and this is something that's being organized by the mendocino women's political coalition the american association of university women the ukiah daily journal in partnership with the mendocino voice so they all got together to do this local candidates forum but of course we're in a pandemic so we can't do what we usually do which is cram into the city council chambers in ukiah and look at all these guys up on the dais and ask them questions so instead it's going to be a zoom forum uh, which is very easy for us as a radio station to broadcast so we're going to bring that to you uh, live from seven o'clock and i think there's going to be some way that you could submit questions through facebook live from the mendocino voice uh, but you can definitely hear it here on kzyx and then also a very uh, highly anticipated program that we do every election is the state ballot initiative show with annie esposito and karen audubonny we are going to do that show this friday October 9th at 9 o'clock. Annie and Karen will be here. Uh, they, they're going to look at all of the state ballot initiatives. They're going to talk about who endorses what. They're going to look at the sources of funding for them and um, generally just talk through the state ballot initiative. So if you want to have your sample ballot or you may actually have your ballot ballot it might be arriving in your mailbox this by the end of this week uh and you can go through with them uh one initiative at a time another thing i need to mention is uh next week next week is going to be the supreme court confirmation hearings uh, for president trump's nominee for the supreme court and that's going to be happening live on capitol hill we're going to broadcast that from 6 a.m to 6 p.m monday through friday and it's a it's a hard decision to make to do that to programming for the week but um it's a historic hearing and we definitely are going to to broadcast from 6 a.m to 6 p.m monday through thursday and that's going to mean that we for the local coronavirus update will not be here monday and wednesday I don't know how we're going to survive. I know. Well, we, we will survive. We'll get through it. There's probably going to be some moments that are... I don't know how they're going to have these hearings if half the members of the hearing have 
tested positive for COVID. But well, that's I'm sure Mitch really will figure it out. Been very interesting to try to, as the program director here at KZYX, to try to figure out because yeah. I can't see how they're going to actually do this. But if there's a will, there's a way. And there is a will. There's well, a very, very so. <laughs> big steely will forcing this thing through. So, um, so that's going to be happening uh, Monday through Thursday. Also, the following Monday, a week from Monday, when we're supposed to be back here in the studio doing our next local coronavirus update. So now you're already up to the 19th. I'm going to be gone. I'm going on vacation. (laughs) So you're going to probably have to do it solo. Oh, no. Which you are well capable of doing. Or we can get um, another engineer in here to... Maybe I'll try to recruit... To co-host. Cobb to come engineer. That would be fun, but he's not going to be here. Anyway, okay, way TMI. We're going we're gonna to head out now. We're going to finish up the show, but I wanted to let you know uh, that there is a lot of interesting, exciting, and important programming coming up, and next week's going to be very different. So thanks, everybody, for bearing with us and for calling in and for uh, staying engaged with this whole pandemic, even though... As we said, it does get a little fatiguing. We're glad to be here with you, and we will now... Be safe. Be kind, everybody. Have a great weekend. Indeed. I'll see see you in two weeks. (laughs) And um, now let's join TUC Radio in progress. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.